The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Right now in fast cracks in the consumer, new data from Bank of America showing spending rising at its slowest clip in more than two years. Does this mean the post-pandemic shopping spree is about to end? We'll ask a man who runs more than 600 restaurants, 15 hotels, and six casinos what he thinks. Landry's chairman and CEO Tillman Fertitta will be with us. Plus, losing altitude. Airlines a big loser today as American warned its first quarter profits would take a hit from rising fuel and labor costs. But Delta reporting tomorrow is now the time to delay your entry into the sector. And later, one of our traders says this chart is ready to break out. The big reveal and what the surge means for the broader markets coming up. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money. We're live at the Nasdaq Markets. You got a full house here tonight. Steve Grasso, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Guy Dami all here on set, ready to go. We start off with a major warning out of the Federal Reserve. The minutes from the March meeting showing central bank staffers believe the banking crisis would lead, likely lead to a recession this year. Yet, the committee raised rates anyway. Let's get more from Steve Leisman, who joins us now. Steve. Yeah, Melissa, an interesting development. Staff forecasters at the Fed saw the banking stressors. stresses. Remember, they flared up just around the time of the Fed's March meeting, and they saw them likely to lead to recession. They previously said a recession was a possible or plausible outcome, but it was not their baseline at the time in the prior meeting. Here's what else they said. They said inflation would step down markedly this year and inflation would slow sharply next year. Uh, and outcomes depend, of course, on the severity of the banking stresses that were out there. As for the actual officials at the meeting, they didn't appear to embrace the staff's concern or the staff concerns were not enough to keep them from hiking by, you'll remember, 25 basis points. They did see the banking failures leading to tighter credit conditions and also likely to weigh on jobs, growth and inflation. Here's what else they said. Some would have hiked by 50 uh, if not for the banking problems. And they also didn't raise their forecast for rate hikes for the year end like they otherwise might have because of what was going on with banks. They discussed not hiking at all, but they decided to rely on their supervisory tools to handle problems at the banks. Most saw economic risk to the downside, inflation risk to the upside. They also forecast that they would probably hike again. After the inflation report today, and we had several Fed speakers as well, and those minutes as well, Markets view of what the Fed's going to do in May ended up pretty much unchanged with about a 70 to 75 percent probability of a rate hike at the next meeting, Melissa. The other possibility, Steve, is that the that the Fed officials heard what the staff said and they said, you know what, a mild recession is fine with us. We're willing to take that chance. Uh, and I think, you know, yeah, in terms I, of what they're going to do for the next meeting, I don't, I don't know if that's going to change at all. But I'm wondering if the notion of a pivot, of an actual cut moves up because of, of this development. You know, that's a great question. I, I want to answer the first part of what you said there, which is that it could be that Fed officials, many Fed officials already have a recession 
built in in the following sense. Some are seeing a, a one percentage point increase in unemployment that usually is accompanied by a recession. And some see growth, you know, as low as 0.4 percent. So uh, that kind of low growth, well, if it was a little bit uh, uh, worse than that, it would be on the negative side. So you're right. They may already be embracing a recession. And we have done some work, uh, uh, Melissa, trying to study or think about what the Fed reaction would be to a recession. And most think it'll stop the Fed from hiking, but most don't think it'll cause the Fed to uh, reverse course and cut rates, maybe pause, but not necessarily cut, depending upon the level of inflation. All right, Steve, thanks. Steve Leisman joining us from, from Washington. Looks like a, an airport. It is an airport, actually. Oh. Um, okay, so what do we make of this development? Because it, the markets took it in stride, or the markets think that a recession equals a cut equals a pivot. What do you think? You were once again in my head as you tend to be at five o'clock each night because that's the question. You know, if, if they acknowledge that this bank failure is going to lead to recession yet hike anyway, you have to say to yourself, that's the outcome that they want. Clearly, that's a desired outcome. So I guess in that regard, the move lower midday whenever the market started to turn around made some sense. Yeah, the market shrugged it off. I mean, this morning things were looking pretty good. 5% was obviously a tad better than the street was looking for, but core is still 5.6%. I don't think their job is done yet, and I think that's what the market came to realization about halfway through. Yeah, Karen? Well, I thought your question was a really good one, because I'm thinking mild recession, I would think, is a home run for the Fed. If you look at the task before them, mm -hmm. to go from zero to trying to get to something normal in the midst of an inflationary bubble, and to come out with only a mild recession after this pandemic bust then boom like we've never seen plus it, banking turmoil right, is a i would think of that as a win and Powell would be a i mean a hero i think that's not a bad outcome at all for them if they can if they can manufacture that i think they were probably too nervous about spooking if they skipped and they pause right now that would mean to us that the banking issue was worse than we thought it was so i think they're too nervous about that why are they not talking about qt qt is happening in the background it's 25 basis points probably of a reaction within the market. The financial crisis is probably another 25. That's 50. They're already raising. Why on earth are they going to continue to press until something else breaks, something already broke? I think they're asleep at the switch once again. Yeah, it's interesting, though, when that data came out this morning at 830, if you look at the two-year yield, what happened to it, it went from 407 mm -hmm. to 387. I know, Guy, you talk about this all the time. I mean, that move was kind of astounding. And then equities were ripping, right, in the pre-market. And then what we saw is, is that yields came back up and equities came in. And I'm just, like, looking at all that bond market volatility. We've been talking about the spread between the move index and the VIX. The VIX is just pinned here at 19. Like, it's just pinned here. And it seems so odd. And now that you have the move coming in, despite what I just talked about that intraday move that we saw in such a short period of time. I feel like we're going to get away from the Fed. We get it. They're going to maybe do 25 or maybe they're not going to at the May meeting. It doesn't really matter. They're not going to go up that meaningfully from here. OK, it really then comes to when does that pivot out? When does the market start pricing in lower rates? But for what reason? Right. Just kind of putting this whole yeah. thing together. And again, if it is the best case scenario that they have a slight recession, 
I think we're going to be so focused in the next few weeks on earnings and what we hear from here. I just don't think it's going to be particularly good. Um, so to me, I, I think that we're going to probably get off of the Fed really soon, and then we're going to get focused on what companies are saying, what sort of visibility that they have, and what sort of consumer you know, degradation that we have seen with this rate move, because that's the thing that's going to take but longer I, to work I, I don't, through the economy. They're also, to Melissa's point, they're also factoring in, the market's factoring in 100 basis points of cuts a year from now. So they're going, and, and they're not, it, it would be great if we were just talking about this next meeting. They're talking about raising now yeah. into the summer. And then, so how fast does that cut have to really happen, the 100 basis points? That, that's going to spook the market, in my, in my opinion, it, versus it, help the market. Because things are so bad, yeah, they because, have to cut that Exactly, much. that precipitous of a drop, 100 basis points, that quickly. I, I feel just like the muscle memory of, of rate cuts equals good things for the mm-hmm. market is still embedded in investors. I think that is still... That's still the reaction, the twitch that happens when we get a whiff of the Fed may pivot. The market might believe that. Um, I don't think the Fed officials have said that at all. I mean, six months ago, they were talking about whether you like it or not. I mean, again, I'm paraphrasing, but it's it's higher for longer. And longer means exactly that. I think they're going to get a rate to where they want it to be. And I think it's going to be remain there. Unemployment in this country is three and a half percent. Actually, ticked lower last week. Why were we even considering lowering rates with a historic low unemployment? It makes no sense. Nothing has nothing suggests that they should be cutting rates right now. Unless but, the banking turmoil is not contained. The it, banking so, I, and I, I never do this. Yeah. The banking turmoil was created by their the the duration risk yeah. that these bankers failed to acknowledge was created by all this everything going on with the Federal Reserve. So. That's not on the economy. That's on people to just understand duration risk. So it's on them. And the bank stress test that everybody champions, they Silicon Valley Bank would have passed that bank stress test. So, you know, it's an entirely different conversation, I think. Well, I don't think that that duration risk fiasco that's happened at banks is at all on the Fed. Right. I mean, the Fed, it's not like no, all he of a it's sudden on the, bank, on the bank. It's on. It on OK, it, it's it's on the banks, not acknowledging or realizing what's going on. But, you know, Federal Reserve had rates artificially low for 13 years. People got desensitized to what could happen. So I guess that to us, yeah, you could blame the people. But the Fed created the environment for that to happen. Okay, in my it's not opinion, like they didn't give the banks. Agreed. Warnings, right. Again right. and again Agreed. and again. With we're going to raise rates. We're going to raise more. But back to the stock market. Think about those rallies that we saw in 2022. They were all predicated on the potential for a pivot. So like the market participants were kind of waiting to your point about yeah. the muscle memory, yeah. waiting for them yeah. to say, ah, we got to two and a quarter percent on Fed funds. You know what I mean? We're going to pivot or slow down, that sort of thing. And so that's the thing. If you think about where the market has come, the S&P 500, off of those lows in October, we've come a long way when you look at the rallies. And a lot of the patterns that we've seen, these rallies into earnings season, that kind of go in a little bit, and then we come off and we've made new lows each time. So to me, I just think that if the higher for longer really does stick around and then we have a weakening economy confirmed by some of the biggest companies um, in our economy, then I think that the stock market right here is entirely too expensive. You think about it, I think what what's the average trailing over the last 10 years? I think FactSet has it at like 18 and a half. Well, that's basically where we are right now. Yeah. I mean, did you see KRE today down mm-hmm. more than a percent? I don't know. Banking banking turmoil contained. I think I don't there are some questions. Warren Buffett, I mean, you watched the interview this morning. He thinks there's another shooter. Karen's been saying it for a while. I mean, Sheila Baird talked about it. 
Those stocks don't trade that way for Not no reason, yeah. I don't think. But anyway, um, we got a market flash we got to get to. Alibaba. Steve Kovacs got the details. Steve. Yeah, Melissa, uh, the Financial Times is reporting that SoftBank is making moves now to sell most of its shares in Alibaba. That's sending shares of Alibaba down about 4% right now. Uh, they looked through, uh, FT reporters looked through some filings. They said uh, SoftBank has sold about $7 billion so far this year of their stake, and the goal is to get down to just about a 3.8% stake in the entire company. Uh, we've reached out to both companies for comment, and I'll be back if we get more. All right, Steve, thanks. Steve Kovac, um, what do we make of this news, Karen? I don't know what to make of it. I mean, I've been so afraid of Alibaba since, you know, I owned yeah. it and then sold it down a lot. Um, I don't know. I feel like day to day, you just don't know what the environment's going to be. This is obviously a different thing, SoftBank, than the government, but I'm not, I'm not yeah. there in China. They, I mean, they've been telegraphing this. And, and I think when you think about what Warren Buffett said on Squawk and Friends this morning, it's kind of interesting, right? So he sold out of that ta- Taiwan semi-position. Mm-hmm. He sold out or he's selling out. Quickly, of, and he did it quickly. Yeah, and yeah. he sold out of Boyd. Um, you know what I mean? And, 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 he's, and he's talking about Japanese stocks and the opportunities there. So maybe there is a, an interesting inflection point as it relates to investing in Asia. All right, let's get back to uh, the economy, the CPA data, and the Fed minutes. Let's now bring in former Atlanta Fed President Dennis Lockhart. Dennis, great to have you with us. Thanks, Melissa. What what do you make of the Fed staff's prediction of a mild recession later this year and the Fed's decision to go ahead and raise rates? I mean, do you you think that it's a a tacit or implicit um, acceptance that we will have a a recession later this year? Well, uh, first, let me explain. From my memory, the staff... Uh, is uh, somewhat independent of the governors and the presidents in putting forth what they think is going to happen, uh, premised on on appropriate policy. So it's not a Fed position per se. I I think the voting members of the committee are perhaps a lot more important, and they each have staffs behind them, at least the Fed presidents do, who uh, do modeling and have the, come to their own conclusions. So I think it's one input about what the atmosphere in the Fed is as regards a recession later this year. Having said that, I I noted it when I read the minutes a few minutes ago uh, that uh, the staff is uh, is really predicting a, re- a recession later this year. I think it's important. I think it also feeds the overall sentiment that I read, and that is they feel they have more work to do, and therefore come May 3rd, they're probably going to increase by another 25 basis points. What's your view, Dennis, of the impact of, of what's gone on in the banking crisis and the expected tightening of credit to come um, and how that factors into the Fed's decision? I mean, we've heard from many Fed officials saying that they believe that that the banking turmoil is contained. We've heard it from a lot of people, but I'm wondering what your, your take on it is. As we watch the stocks continue to have a rough ride, I mean, there's no indication in, the, in how the stocks trade, at least, that things are over. You know, I, I think you have to be cautious on this question. I, I, I don't think we're out of the woods that the whole environment has settled back to something we'd call normal. So, um, you know, I think you have to continue to monitor the situation and who knows? Something, something more could happen in in terms of a bank failure or whatever. So, um, and, and first, I think that's the first point. It's it's uncertain that we're completely out of the woods. And then, second point, I think is is that 
the committee seems to be paying very, very close attention to the credit contraction risk in the economy. But it's a little early to really assess it. And they said as much in the minutes. Dennis, how come we don't hear about QT being being tightening? How come we don't hear about the financial crisis being tightening? Isn't that enough? Why does the Fed have to do anything right now? Well, first of all, I think the um, the tightening effect of QT on the real economy is more of an unknown than a known. It's something that there have been a lot of staff papers written about and a lot of of, uh, you know, very serious economic studies to try to quantify it. But it really isn't uh, known. And it's it's a variable that the committee wants to put on the back burner and just proceed with. So uh, I think the fact that we don't hear anything about QT is because it really is a background matter from the point of view of policy. Dennis, this is going to be a bit of a wonky question. I hope though it doesn't come off that way. The Fed should have a balance sheet, and some of its you know, money supply, it all plays in, right? So I think you and I both would agree, $9 trillion is the wrong number, but it should be, you know, probably greater than 6 Where should it be, given this environment and given money, on all those different things? Because we're probably, in my opinion, 30% or so in, in excess. Your estimate is pretty good, I think. Um- the, well, first, we're in a new era of ample reserves, not scarce reserves. Prior to the 2008 financial crisis, we had a, a basically a situation of very scarce reserves. When I joined the Fed in 2007, the balance sheet was $800 billion. You know, today it's nine, almost $9 trillion. Uh, six, $6 trillion is as a stopping point and then letting natural growth occur is a reasonable estimate, it seems to me. They will feel their way along until they feel the market is telling them that the appetite for reserves uh, is uh, at its bottom, and then they'll stop. But but I I think $6 trillion is a reasonable estimate. Could be lower. Dennis, it's always great to speak with you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Melissa. Dennis Lockhart. I talked to Mark Zandi of Moody's a couple weeks ago, and he said that he believed that the, uh, the coming credit tightening as a result of the, what's gone on in the banking sector is the equivalent of two to three rate hikes of 25 basis points that has not been factored in yet. Does so that, then does that so they're done? Is that what you're saying? They're, they could be done or they're going to keep going on ahead. Uh-huh. And then this is on top of it and they're over tightening. Uh-huh. Right. Well, he's right. I mean, if he's right, mm-hmm. then they do have a little draft kind of cover to hide behind to yeah. wait and see for a couple months and see if that actually does happen. It's interesting. You know, we're small business, right? We talk about there was a, a confidence reading this week, and, and I think Jeff Gunlock um, tweeted it out from Doubleline that it, like literally the, the index is plummeting, right? So you're seeing at least in the expectations of small businesses, and, and let, let's not, like small is the small word. Small businesses employ maybe like two-thirds of the people in America, right? So if their confidence in the economy, if their confidence in their ability to access credit, their confidence in the banking system is shaken, that is the sort of thing that's going to work its well way 
through our economy at the, at the wrong time. So we talk about, you know, whether they're going to continue to push and continue to raise and QT to Steve's point and all this sort of stuff. I mean, listen, it's likely the economy is going to shift below their feet before the Fed has pivoted or paused or anything like that. And at that point, they're going to be behind the eight ball again. So as far as an investor is concerned, I think, you know, taking some stock of valuations, taking some stock of this, you know, highly anticipated recession, whether it's, a, a, you know, a, a shallow one, whether it's long, whether it's deep, whatever. I mean, I, I just don't know. I just don't think the valuations make a whole heck of a lot of sense here. And I'm not just trying to sound like an absolute perma bear. You know, over the last year, there have been times where I've been very constructive on the opportunity to buy stocks. I just yes. don't think, given the uncertainty that we have right now and where rates are, um, this is one of those good times. Well, especially. plus the market's 20 percent higher than that time right. when, no, in no October. And, you were, and just quickly, yeah. you sold Microsoft. I did. What? Well, so, well she browbeat me last night yeah. for all these good reasons to it sell it. And I, I, it was indefensible that I, I still owned it, but I do own half still. Right. But, but the valuation. The valuation at 30 plus times. Concerning to you. Yeah, very. Coming up, trouble on the tarmac. Airline stocks getting grounded after a warning from one major carrier. But with Delta reporting tomorrow, will the problems be more widespread? We're trading that one next. Plus, one retailer you can throw in your purse. I mean, portfolio. (laughs) Shares of LVMH jumping after its latest report. Why luxury sales are seeing a rebound ahead. Fast Money's back in two. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a buzzkill on American Airlines. The stock seeing its worst drop since last June after the company issued disappointing guidance for the first quarter. American sees earnings of just one to five cents a share. That's largely below the average estimate of five cents. The news sending other airline stocks lower. Delta reports before the bell tomorrow. What happened? We, Buffett talks about Warren Buffett talks about it all the time. You can't, they're uninvestable. We've talked about it on this. They're trading vehicles. Tim Seymour points out Delta. Delta will probably be the other side of the equation, to be honest with you. They'll probably surprise the upside. But I look at American Airlines, and we're approaching levels we haven't seen in two and a half or three years, which is remarkable if you think about it. They've been in a sweet spot over the last year in terms of what they can charge people and, and capacity and those types of things. With that said, I think you're looking for an opportunity again to trade Delta. I'm more inclined to be long delta in earnings on the back of this than short, and I'll say that. I think it's a problem because corporate travel has really returned this. Even though Jamie Dimon has people reporting to the office now, Finally. there's a lot of people who are still working remote. So there's no reason to have that corporate travel back. That means big ticket seats are not coming back. Labor costs going up, fuel costs going up. Right. Karen? Well, we were talking on the call today, half time, like what are the you know derivative trades from that? Right. Have the hotels run up? so much. I mean, they've had a huge run. I don't know in the airline space for the reason 
Buffett and Tim's trading vehicle, but uh, just too hard to gauge. They do have all that debt, although they did, they did manage to refinance at decent rates. They bought some time. There's a lot more Fast Money to come. Here's what's coming up next. Glamorous games. LBMH surging as China sees a retail rebound. So can this name keep trading in the lap of luxury? Plus, billionaire investor and Houston Rockets owner Tillman Fertitta joins us in just a few. His take on credit, the consumer, and how he's putting money to work. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? <clears throat> the real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of luxury brand LVMH jumping after results. The Louis Vuitton parent reporting a sharp rise in sales driven by a strong rebound in China. The company, though, did note fashion and jewelry sales slowing down here in the United States. Um, Steve, you, you said LVMH. Very important. Why? Yeah, well, it's very important because everyone thought the China reopening was supposed to be taking hold and we got a head fake a couple of times. This actually shows that somewhat they're coming back which means for energy and everything under the sun, this could be positive. Yeah. Karen? Yeah. So they've cited, they've cited in the past Macau is gigantic and China um, also huge. But almost in every category <coughs> except for wine and spirits, it was a giant beat. And uh, the mix was good. And, I mean, there's a lot to love here. It's not crazy expensive at 25 times for a collection of brands that is Almost unrivaled. Kerrig is just as good, I think. But um, I don't know. I love the name. I'm long. I wish I were long more. There's one way to fix that, I suppose. Uh, I could go home long tomorrow, I suppose. More long tomorrow. But I, there's a lot to like here. And I don't know if we'll see all the consumers still ready to spend, right? We might see this big dichotomy. But the high end is out there. They're ready to spend. Well, that's what's interesting. And now Karen's in my head because I was going to mention the other side of the rainbow is, and it's Walmart. Look at Walmart. I mean, Walmart closed at 149. You know, very quietly, Walmart's had a decent few months. I think 157 is the all-time high spring of 21 or 22, and here we are. So the luxury side clearly can do well, but when Walmart starts ticking up like that, you got to take notice because the people in the middle are going to get squeezed. You know, know, uh, I know you want to go to Dan, but real quick, Capri, as as Karen correctly pronounces it, has 30% leverage to China. Uh-huh. Same as LVMH. Did it, how did it trade? Nothing. Yeah. Not no well. effect. No. Why? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe we're, we're the only smart ones at the table. I don't, not, or, not meeting these gentlemen. They don't the trade passies. it. Yeah. But, but we could be, you know, you look around and you say, maybe I'm the stupidest guy in the room because Capri should have traded higher on the back of LVMH today. Interesting. I'll just say this because I don't know the LVMH story. I, you know, I probably just drink the stuff and not have Not enough. Not, 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 not have it on my shoulder. Um, but, but, Stocks at all-time highs, right? Whatever you think the valuation is. As it should is. be. It's, it's so, the right. revenue but, growth is fantastic. But I'm, all, I'm just saying this to the people. If you weren't long it the way you've been long it and enjoy this thing, you're not really going to, like, you wouldn't go out and, like, establish a long right here in, into this global recession that we're all going to have right now. 
<laughs> well, as I said, if you go home long, it's like you bought it at the close. Yeah. So if I want to be bigger, I would have to buy some right yeah. here. But I understand what you're saying. You wouldn't build a full-size position right here. No, I get it. No, I wouldn't. All right. What do you drink from Elvis? Is there they have stuff? Does he, the, yeah, the bubble, champagne. the bubbly, dude. Moet Oh, I like that. Yeah, that's from a Moet song, Hennessy. by the way. Yeah. Oh, the MH. Didn't oh, that's the MH. Yeah, Louis Vuitton. Then the U.S. Anyway, he plays. MH is out of the And the ticker is MC in France. Yeah, that's beautiful. Anyway, so you learn. You learn on fast You know, play that thing. The rainbow. All right, coming up, the lines draw themselves. Why one of our traders is channeling his inner chart master when it comes to oil. More on that ahead. The first billionaire investor and Houston Rockets owner, Tillman Fertitta, will join us next. His take on where the consumer stands and if he's still betting on a win for win resorts. That interview is just moments away. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Fast Money. Another check on the markets today. Stocks closing lower despite this morning's cooler inflation data. The Dow dropping 38 points, snapping a four-day winning streak. The S&P falling four-tenths of a percent. And the Nasdaq leading the losses down nearly a percent. But some software stocks bucking the sell-off today. Datadog and MongoDB both seeing some pretty big gains here. New data on credit and debit cards from Bank of America shows spending in March rose at its slowest pace in more than two years. Is this the latest sign that the consumer is finally slowing down? Let's ask our next guest, Tillman Fertitta, the chairman and CEO of Landry's. His company touches consumers across restaurants, hotels, gaming, and much more with brand names like Mastro's, Morton's, Bubba Gump, the Golden Nugget, and of course the NBA's Houston Rockets. Tillman, great to have you back on Fast Money. Nice to see you. Hey, Melissa, how have you been? Good, good. Thanks for asking. I'm wondering what you've been seeing in terms of the consumer, if that stat from Bank of America rings true, and if it has changed materially since the banking crisis about a month ago now. Well, what, what happened was that everybody got all excited because they looked at the year over year, January and February, but everybody forgets that last January and February we had another COVID scare. And so everybody did huge numbers this year compared to last year. But then it was just flat out over toward the end of February. And in March, it was a disappointment. Now, was there some weather? Definitely. But uh, it's definitely slowing down. You can especially see it in the higher end where, where people are just buying down a little bit. Uh, and, and the traffic is down a little bit. So we've all been waiting for this to come. The last stimulus went out around March the 1st, so that money's not out there anymore. And, and, and we all have to be honest with each other. We all had the greatest years we ever had in 21 and 22, and now we're going to see things uh, start to normalize a little bit again and probably go backwards a little bit. Has what happened, though, um, in terms of Silicon Valley Bank and Signature and all the rest, Tillman, has that sped up this normalization process? Have you seen any change? Uh, in the confidence of consumers well, in the past month or so? Yeah, I think all of that has something to do with it. And, and any time that uh, we live this every day, but to the average person, they, they think that banks failed, and, and in a sense they did, even though it was a liquidity issue, that they had to be bought. And it does scare people. And, and all it takes is that happen a little bit. They see if hiring slow down at their company or people get laid off at their company. Uh, and, and, and seeing inflation not really changing when they go to the grocery store or go out to dinner, even though they say grocery prices finally stopped being raised uh, last month. Uh, I, I think that, that it just has an effect on everybody. But more than anything, I think that the stimulus money has gone. 
And, and when the stimulus money is gone, it was just free money out there for everybody, and it was trillions of dollars. And, and that's why our, our, our debt went up so much. But it was great for all of us consumer businesses for a few years. Has anything changed for you in terms of how you do business and how you access capital? Well, we're, we're probably not as aggressive from an acquisition standpoint just because of the cost of debt. I think the M&A world has definitely slowed down. The uh, acquisition of real estate has definitely slowed down. Uh, there's so much real estate that's going to come up uh, at banks this year that they're all getting a little bit nervous. Uh, but the consumer is still there spending money, and the world's not falling off of a cliff. We just have to remember we had a roaring 21 and 22. Gentlemen, it's Karen Feinerman. Thanks for being on. What are you seeing? I know you employ thousands of people. What are you seeing in terms of wages and how sticky labor costs are? Well, we made such huge jumps in 21 and 22. And uh, what, what it has done, and, and I, I read a story about it, and we had just talked about it, was that, that people that were a little older are getting back into the workforce that had semi-retired or retired because jobs that used to pay 10 and 12 bucks an hour now pay $20 an hour. And somebody said, you know what, maybe I don't mind working 20 hours a week for $20 an hour, part-time at some kind of a retail establishment. And, and so that's a positive that we seem to be getting some people back into the workforce that were not in it at all. But uh, it, it's, it's definitely crazy from where it was, but at least it's starting to slow down a little bit now. We're not just fighting over employees every, everywhere now. Everybody seems to have been caught up. And everybody's operating with less employees than they used to. So it, whether you're a retail company, a restaurant company, a, a corporate marketing company, whatever you are, everybody has just learned to operate with less. But payrolls are still the same or more because everybody costs so much more today. Tillman, in our world, they say nobody rings the bell at the bottom, but you were Quasimodo on October 31st because you bought almost 7 million shares of wind. Stocks doubled since then. Macau numbers have been great ever since. Las Vegas, McCarran traffic is off the charts. Stay with that position. I mean, I still think there's runway. What do you think? You know, I definitely feel like there's runway because Macau's just starting to come back. And uh, I keep up with, with what everybody else is saying, and I think there's a lot of room still in wind. Uh, I don't have any desire to uh, unload it. Uh, I have a lot of faith in the company, and, and uh, you know, let's just see what happens. But you know what? We could be sitting here in three months, and I could say, boy, I'll let that one get away. <laughs> but I'm going to ride it out. So what do you see in terms of, uh, you know, you've got – gambling, bricks and mortar gambling, but then also, Tillman, you're, you're, I believe, the largest shareholder in DraftKings. What are you seeing there? That stock has sort of traded sideways for the past year or so. So what are you anticipating? Is there a catalyst there on the horizon? Well, I, I think what's happened is, is that everybody stopped this free spending everywhere. Uh, I think BetMGM, Caesars, DraftKings, uh, you know, all the huge players, uh, I think you're going to see profitability uh, sooner than we all thought we were going to see it because they were losing so much money. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if all of them uh, are making money by the fourth quarter of this year. 
so I'm excited. Yeah, you know, I, I love owning all the DraftKings that I own. I'm very high on it, just like I like uh, being one of the largest shareholders of Win. I'm very high on it. So uh, I guess I'm uh, uh, hot into the gaming uh, stocks right now. Does um, them making money in the fourth quarter of this, of this year, does that mean that you don't see a recession uh, coming? Or do you see a recession people are going to game through? <laughs> I'm just wondering, you must have a very I, good view or, of, of, of where we are heading right now. Well, uh, you know, it's kind of funny what you said, but, you know, if we, if we might go into a recession, why would, would uh, online gaming stocks do well? Because people are going to be sitting on their couch and it's very easy to uh, to make a sports bet or make an online bet in the few states that it's available. And and just like uh, during COVID, when people were sitting at home, that's when these companies really did well. So for I don't think they're they're like other companies. I think that they can plow right through a recession where the bricks and mortar, like my golden nuggets, or or the wind, could struggle a little bit with the consumer. But uh, the entertainment dollar of gaming always seems to be one of the last ones not to get spent. I got two more questions for you, Tillman. Uh, in terms of your forecasting, though, are you are you baking in a recession? Is that is that what you see based on what the Fed is doing, based not, on what we've gone through with the banking crisis? I'm not baking in a recession. Uh, what I'm doing, though, is that we watch everything extremely closely and we're not spending the, the new CapEx or new acquisitions or new building quite as quick as we might do it. Uh, I, I'm, I'm watching projects. I don't think you go do a major project when interest rates are still ticking up. And, and, and we really don't know what the Fed is going to do. They might pause and then six months later raise it another half a point. We, we have no idea because there's such a lag and there, they, they had such a huge lag in starting this, and I think they might have a huge lag in slowing it down. And when people talk about them lowering rates by the end of this year, that's just ludicrous to me unless we go into a deep recession. And uh, that's one thing we don't want to happen is to go into a deep recession. Remember, we just started raising rates 18 months ago. Time flies. Um, so you're watching everything. Are you watching the Washington Commanders? Are you going to make a bid for this franchise? You know, I'll be flat out honest. Uh, I made a bid on the Washington Commanders for $5.6 billion. That's the value that Forbes had them at. And uh, at some point, you've got to draw a line in the sand on everything. And uh, that's where we are. Uh, if they can get somebody to pay them more than that, good luck to them. Uh, that's all I can say. I own a franchise, so... I love them selling for a lot, but at some point, uh, I don't think $6 billion is the right number. Well, you know, though, Tillman, the funny thing about sand is that you can sort of wipe it and then draw another line. So line in the sand isn't really a hard line. And there's a lot of leeway between 5.6 and $6 billion. You know what? Everybody that's watched me do business for the last 40 years knows when I draw a line in the sand, I'm done. So right. I'm here. You know I can close, and that's the way it is. Okay. Tillman, always great to see you. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Tillman Fertitta of Landry's. I'm Tillman. shocked he didn't tell you he was going to raise his bid on air tonight. <laughs> <laughs> you got to try. I mean, you got to ask. 
And sand is, you could sweep it up. He's a tremendous owner. I mean, Washington would be lucky, 100% lucky to have him as part of the ownership, a big part of the ownership group. But he said five point. Think about the value. We laughed a couple years ago when it was Golden State Warriors, I think. What was the franchise? Like, how is that possible? uh, The Clippers, it was. And now, I mean, that looks like genius. So, franchise, there are only so many. A vanity purchase, some might say. Yes. Coming up, the most interesting chart in the markets. Find out what one of our traders think of energy here. Their thoughts and trades next and later feeling maxed out when it comes to streaming services. We'll bring you the details on the newest entrance to the market and why it has Warner Brothers dropping today. More Fast Money in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Crude oil cruising higher today with prices hitting their highest level since November, and it's approaching a level that caught Dan's eye. So, Dan, why is this the most interesting chart in the market? Well, because it's a bit of a conundrum, right? And so, you know, I talk to Guy every day, as you do. I know that's kind of it's, it's, a, <laughs> it's a challenging proposition here a little bit. But Guy's had this thesis that, you know, we can still have a recession, okay, but oil can continue to work for a whole host of reasons. I'll let him speak to that. And then I was talking to our friend CBW, you know, we're charting guy. Yeah, yeah, Cardi Braxton. And yeah. I'm like, yeah, but, but, but I'm like looking at this crude chart, and I hadn't drawn any lines yet. And you know what Carter always says? The lines draw themselves, yes. right? And I'm like seeing, I saw two lines. I saw a horizontal red line from the December highs, which is almost exactly to the penny, as he also likes to say, of where the crude is trading right now, and then also meeting its 200-day moving average at that same point. And I'm saying to myself, if you look at this thing right here, it's either going to do what Guy likes to say when something's going to break out. It's going to what? Party. It's going to party, or it's going to get rejected right Mm -hmm. here. And I just think it's a really interesting chart when you consider all the other things that are going on in the markets and all the other things that are kind of headwinds to potential growth right now at a time where we're really focused on inflation. So it's all supply and demand, right? And it's all dollar. Right, so inverse correlation of dollar. You have Russia cutting back on supply. You have OPEC cutting back on supply. China coming back on. The U.S. has to refill the SPR at some point. So you have all those tailwinds. Last year was a negative year for the commodity. This year looks like it's going to be a trade range up to 100. Yeah. Look, when it was $110, Steve says it's going to 65. It went to $65. But here we are, you know, low 80s, and it does feel like it's about to party. Now, technicians will say this is where it should stall and fail. Let's see, but it does come down to supply demand. And, and I'm glad Dan put that, pointed that out. Crude oil can go higher in a recession. Home builders are going higher in a slowdown. These things are not mutually exclusive. Prices can go higher in, in a recession. Okay. Bang! And that's one of the worst recessions you can have. All right, one options trader is betting ExxonMobil's run off its lows isn't over yet. Brian Sutland joins us with the action. Brian. Yeah, we did see some activity at ExxonMobil. Obviously, we got some news on where demand and supply is coming out uh, in Cushing, Oklahoma, that being supply falling. And so an option trader came in here and said, hey, I'm a little bullish on oil. ExxonMobil is one of those names maybe to participate in. If it were to drop, they sold 2,000 weekly, 114 puts at 26 cents. So that's a trader basically willing to be put to ExxonMobil if it were to fall below 114. And these are options expiring this Friday. This is a really unique way to play these zero DTE, or in this case, options expiring in two days, where you're gonna collect some premium and be willing to own the stock. At the same time, look at the charts there, ExxonMobil trading near almost all time highs, basically saying maybe we won't get through this 116 mark quite yet. This is a stock I own for clients, I like it, and this is kind of an interesting trade to say, hey, 114 is a level I'm willing to own. 
All right, Brian, thanks. Brian Sutland for more Options Action. Be sure to tune into the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Up next, what is up with Warner Brothers Discovery stock? Why the company's new streaming service seemed to get a big thumbs down from investors. Stick around. Much more Fast Money in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Warner Brothers Discovery glitching today after the company detailed its new streaming service called Max. The platform. Why is that funny? It's called Max. It com- it's the reason why it's Max. Combines HBO Max and Discovery Plus into one flagship service. Its CEO, David Zasloff, says will cut costs and better stand up to its competitors. He spoke to our Julia Borson earlier this afternoon. By putting that whole bouquet of content, we think the broadest array of content available. Uh, that the churn will come down. So it'll be a significant amount of economic gain for us. So do we see momentum for Max? Did he say bouquet of content? Yeah. Did I hear that right? Yeah. I heard bouquet. Yeah. Well, bouquet <laughs> could be a thing, like an aggregation of flowers, but it also could be a bouquet. You know what I mean? Guy pronounces it bouquet. I do. Yeah. Right? <laughs> like, you know what's really interesting? I feel like we've been talking about this. What, uh, talking, it started with Netflix when they're making their transition to streaming. Remember we were talking about like the competition and we're like, all right, so cable got all bundled, right? And that yeah. worked for a while and then it got unbundled. Yep. And so look at what we're having now with streaming. Like it's like the exact same thing in a way. And like, here's the deal. Like Zaslav is like the guy you want to kind of figure out how to rebundle this sort of thing. So to me, every time I hear him talk about the opportunity set and these sorts of things, I, I want to be behind a guy like that. Not some huge conglomerate, maybe a telco that wants a foray into that sort of thing. You know what I mean? All right. Up next, final trades. News alert on the U.S. Virgin Islands complaint against J.P. Morgan. Steve Kovacs got the latest. Steve. Hey there, Melissa. Yeah, we got an updated filing in the case between the U.S. Virgin Islands and J.P. Morgan Chase. Newly unredacted portions of documents show that J.P. Morgan Wealth Management CEO Mary Erdos was aware by 2006 that Epstein was paying cash to underage girls and women who were being brought to his house. Other new emails between Erdos and former J.P. Morgan senior executive Jess Staley that discussed the federal investigations against Epstein, including 2010 emails about a federal investigation into Epstein for child trafficking and 2011 emails where employees shared news stories about Epstein and agreed to, quote, monitor the account and cash usage going forward. And in a deposition, Erdo said the bank terminated its relationship with Epstein after she became aware that the withdrawals were, quote, actual cash, and then said that Epstein had made, quote, substantial cash withdrawals every year, including more than $800,000 in 2004 and 2005. Now, we have reached out to both J.P. Morgan Chase and will report back with any response, Melissa. All right, Steve, thanks. Uh, around the horn we go. Time for final trade, Steve. MongoDB on the Morgan Stanley upgrade. Karen. Yes, Capri on the heels of Louis Vuitton's good China numbers. Dan Nathan. Uh, yeah, Amazon, I'd be a seller into this. Guy Adami. Yankees, uh, Playing at a 667 clip, Mel. Yeah. They keep winning two out of three, which means they're on pace for 108 wins. As you know, as you stated earlier, win resorts. If it's good enough for Tillman, Mel, it's good enough for me. All right, see you back here tomorrow at 5 more fast. Mad Money starts right now. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. 
This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 